Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be Peter's intention to write what he wrote in here was to the first century church especially to people who had gone out to spread the gospel message. And that's still us today. We're supposed to be spreading the gospel message, but the people in the first century, they were being heavily persecuted. And I know we're getting the same thing. You start talking about Jesus, people get mad and upset, and we just need to be encouraged past that. And I feel this is just a timely message for us today. Okay, 1 Peter 1, a greeting to the pilgrims. Peter, an apostle of Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And when I first read that greeting, I thought, oh boy, here we go already, because there's a lot in there to dissect. First off, Peter identified himself as an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle literally means one who is sent out. Somebody has sent out. But specifically, in Peter's case, he was an apostle who had personally himself served with Jesus and witnessed his resurrection. Being an apostle, it really conveyed authority. It's like, I was there, I saw the man, I was with him, I saw him risen again. And people would hear that, oh, this is an apostle. We really better listen to what Peter had to say. He knows what he's talking about. It had authority in it. So the pilgrims the pilgrims of the dispersion here, these were Jews that had been dispersed. They were scattered out. And the names of the cities that we read here, those were Gentile territories. And now, guys, think of this. Here's believing Jews taking the gospel of Jesus to the foreigner. So the fun part... Peter referred to them as the elect. It says the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I'm going to try to explain a centuries-long debate in a very short amount of time. The elect are those who are chosen by God for salvation. It's kind of like when we elect a president. We choose him for that position. I know you're thinking, but wait, but we have to choose to follow God out of our own free will. Don't we choose God? What do you mean God chose me? I want you to notice that Peter said that the elect are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This means that God has chosen us for salvation based on his foreknowledge. He saw us choose Jesus before we ever did it. Now, I can't explain foreknowledge because I'm not God, but because God foreknew us believing in Christ before we ever came to that decision, he chose us for salvation. I know it sounds crazy. I want to back it up with a few verses. In Ephesians 1, 4, 
says, God, the Lord, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, guys, before the earth was ever created, God foreknew those who would choose to believe in Jesus. And then according to that foreknowledge, he chose the elect to be saved. Before the earth was here, God knew who was going to be saved. I don't know how to put this together. (laughs) I'm just trying to explain to you what it is. He chose the elect to be saved. I want to show you another one because if you're still thrashing around in your head over this, I want to back it up again. John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. You don't come to belief in Jesus all on your own. You don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I think I'll believe in Jesus today. He had to draw you first before you made a decision. So see, he was already working that work to pull you in. We don't have the mere ability to make the decision to believe in Jesus unless Father God has worked to draw us to Jesus first. So Peter was conveying the idea to these people that salvation is such a gift to us. It it is beyond you in every way, shape, and form. You have nothing to do with bringing it. You have nothing to do with making it. You have nothing to do with keeping it. It was in effect before you were here. He's trying to make the get the people to see that it's a gift to us before we were even spiritually awake enough to even recognize it. God was working to save us before we existed, before the earth was here before we even had a clue what sin or salvation even was. What a gift. So then Peter said after that, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sanctification, sanctify, it means you purify it. You set something aside to clean it up. Peter was encouraging the believers that the Lord has purified them for this service. You ever start feeling like the Christian walk is too hard? Wait a minute. God cleaned you up for this. He made you ready for this work. He sanctified you for it. Have you ever felt too low to be of any use or too foul to get anything right? I'm too bad of a sinner. God can't use me to share the gospel. I'm, I'm too bad. But he sanctified you. He's cleaned you up. If you serve God's kingdom, I want you to know that the work of purifying you has been done for you to do that service. Even though we're not even worthy to share the gospel. We're not good enough to walk with the gospel message, even in our minds. The fact that God cleans us up and sanctifies us for this work to be obedient, to go do this work. (laughs) Wow. Thank you, Lord God, for empowering me and preparing me to even do it. And then Peter said that believers are sprinkled with his blood. Now, in the Old Testament, in those days, before Jesus died on the cross, all sacrifices were done with animal sacrifices. They needed blood to make a covering for Israel's sins. The concept of this is that blood is life, uh, life has to cover death. But this temple work was always done with the sprinkling of blood on the Ark of the Covenant. It was never sprinkled on the people themselves, except for one time. There was only one time that they sprinkled the people. The priest would go into that Holy of Holies, into the Ark, and he'd put it on the Ark. Well, the people got sprinkled blood on one time before in Exodus 24 and 8. It says, and Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. See that? Not the ark. He sprinkled it directly on the people themselves and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. 
Now, that's the only time when people were sprinkled with blood. Why not sprinkle them with blood every time? Why was that the only time? Well, that's when the Mosaic Covenant was inaugurated. That's when the old law covenant stuff was put into effect. And so they sprinkled the people. I want you to fast forward now with me to right before Jesus was taken away to die on the cross. In Luke 22, 20, says Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's blood again, which is poured out for the ark. Doesn't say that. It says, which is poured out for you. So he's saying, this is going to be poured out for you. This is going to be another sprinkling on the people themselves again. So we saw that the people were sprinkled with blood when the Mosaic covenant was put into place. And so with this new covenant now, if we're under grace, we're not going to be under law anymore. This new covenant, the people are sprinkled with blood again because a new covenant came into effect. Now the people get sprinkled again, but not with animals, blood, but with spiritually by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. So this is how we believers are cleaned up. That sanctification process I talked about, it was, we're sanctified by his blood sprinkled on us. Our sin is cleaned up and scrubbed out and purifies us for obedience. And so we can be under his new covenant of salvation which God had in mind with you, for you, before the earth was ever created. If you thought your head couldn't blow up big enough already, it's just blew up again. And there's more. It's going to get better. I want you to walk out of here smiling today, okay? (laughs) Gosh, this is a, I'm telling you, we're still in the greeting here. We haven't even made it into the rest of the book. He's still greeting people. (laughs) And Peter said, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Are you lacking peace? You need grace. You need the grace of Jesus Christ. It'll bring you peace. All of this incredible stuff that we've talked about here, guys, we don't deserve one bit of it. So when I first saw all the content in Peter's greeting, I thought, oh my God, you're really going to have to help me with this one. And so anyway, Peter expands on it in 1 Peter 1 and 3 about an inheritance that we get and a heavenly inheritance. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, mercy, he said here. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I deserve eternal condemnation. I deserve that. But if I'm saved by Jesus, then I am saved from that condemnation. So mercy is not getting what I deserve. And it says God is abundant in mercy. How many of you have gotten saved, gave your life to Jesus, and somewhere along the line, you started thinking, you're too bad again. You're too terrible again. I'm too filthy a sinner. God's still not going to like me for some reason. I can't do the work I'm supposed to do because I'm so bad. You got to remember his mercy is abundant. He's got lots of it. Like if it takes one drop of mercy to save you, to help you, he's still got oceans of it, okay? You can't expend all of the mercy he's got. He's very abundant in it. And if it were not for God's mercy, he would have never sent Jesus Christ to die for us at all. Now, remember how we read that God had our plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. But if God had no mercy, if God had no mercy, you know where we would be? We'd be in hell. Right now, we would have been in hell a long time ago if he had no mercy. We would have been put to hell before the foundation of the world because God foreknew we would all just sin. I know this is some blunt terms, but that's what we're reading. 
In hell, there's no hope of escape. Because of God's great mercy, though, he has begotten us, it says. We read the word begotten. Begotten means that he has brought us into sharing the same character traits that he has. Did you know as a believer, you get to share the same character traits that the Lord God has? Since God loves, now I can love. I share that attribute, that character trait with God, because I'm begotten of God. Since God forgives, now I can forgive. Since God lives, now I can live. You see how we share the character traits of the Lord God himself when we become begotten. There is nothing within me that can bring me into a begotten relationship with God. That's why John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent something of himself to make us like himself so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, Jesus Christ, he is the only man who was ever directly begotten of God. Jesus and God are both the same. They're both one. Jesus is not just a messenger. He's not just a teacher. A lot of people think he was just a good guy that taught a lot of good things until it caught up with him and they killed him for it. No, Jesus died on time. He is begotten of God. Jesus is God. There, I will say that. Jesus is God. You need to write that down if you didn't know that. So for us sinners to become begotten, we have to be reborn again in a different way than we were before. In order for the righteous traits of God to be reproduced in us, then the only begotten Son of God had to come to us and change us. It took a begotten man to make us begotten again. Isn't that cool? And because of Jesus, we don't just have hope, as Peter said. We don't just have hope. We have a living hope. I think this is an important term to understand. Living things can hear. Living things can work and act. Living things can interact. Living things have an understanding. Living things have a will. Living things can provide direction and help. So our hope in Jesus is living. It's not how some people, sometimes people say, well, I hope it doesn't rain today. That's not a living hope. That's just a, well, you know, we'll see what happens. The rain doesn't actually interact with you and go, oh, you're saying you, uh, you hope it rains or hope it doesn't rain? The rain doesn't come and interact with you and say, would you like it for it to rain or not? Yeah, I need some rain. We've had a drought. Would you rain here? And the rain goes, okay, I'll rain. The rain's not living. It doesn't interact with you. So I hope it rains. It's, it's kind of an inanimate thing. We have a living hope. Isn't that great? Our hope, is, our hope knows us. Our hope talks to us. It, wants, it lives life with us. And our hope is living because our hope is a person, the God-man Jesus Christ. Living hope, the God-man Jesus. He hears our prayers, he sees our needs, and he's always doing work to provide for us. He interacts with us. We have a living hope. So don't just tell people, I hope I go to heaven. Tell your friends, I have a living hope that told me if I believe in him, I will go to heaven. Show people your living hope. <laughs> it's better than just, I hope I go. I have a living hope. Golly. An eternal life is entirely made possible through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, as Peter said. Our sins are paid for by his death, but our life comes from his resurrection. You see, sin put us under a death penalty. And somebody had to pay for it. And if Jesus had not been raised back to life from the dead, then we could not be raised back 
to life from the dead either. My entire life, I had always heard either they weren't, either ministers weren't telling me the full story or I wasn't hearing it. I don't know which. But I always heard this Jesus Christ died for our sins. And that was it. That's all I heard. Okay, he died for our sins. Great. Then what? It didn't make any sense to me. Where's the big victory that everybody's excited for in that? They never told me he also was raised from the dead. And one day I finally clicked to that. He didn't just die for my sins. He also raised two. Because if I am dead and Jesus is dead, then we're both dead. But if Jesus raises and I'm in him, then I get to raise two. Now I have a victory. Oh, that's the part they weren't telling me. So Jesus was raised from the dead. And that brings us to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 4. We're raised up now, verse 4, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. Please make sure you read that. Does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm excited to tackle this one. Now, we've studied how the Israelite tribes, they were given inheritances when they came back into the land and they said, this tribe gets this inheritance, y'all get this area of land for that inheritance. But friends, our inheritance is not a land inheritance that we get. Our inheritance is eternal life that is kept in heaven for us. It's not down here. We get it up there. Now, a lot of people, and I get this argument, I I tell you, one of probably the most frictional debates I get from people And what I teach and how I teach it is the fact of whether you lose salvation or not. And I will tell you, if you're truly under the covenant of grace with Jesus Christ, you cannot lose it because you're not the one that made it in the first place. Okay? A lot of people think you can lose it, that you can lose salvation. That's another debate. But those that believe they can lose it, they don't realize that salvation is covenant promise. That is what salvation is in. When Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, this isn't just, well, we hope you make it, and you're more than likely just be good or nothing. He said, this is covenant. Salvation is covenant promise. Friends, if God broke promises, then he would not be God. And you really got to think of David. He was a man after God's own heart. David was the covenant king. He committed adultery. He killed somebody, had him murdered, and yet he was still under covenant. Now, this does not mean you're okay to sin. It's not a sin license. But when you're under covenant, you're under covenant. I want you to remember, though, too, when Dave sinned as covenant king, he paid for it heavy, and it hurt. You can choose your sins, but you never get to pick the consequences that come in behind it. So don't think the old race saying, I can sin all I want to. Oh, I'm not. But when you're in covenant, you're in covenant. Peter said our inheritance is incorruptible. It means it does not spoil or fade away. When I moved into the house I live in now, I had a peach tree in the backyard. And I also moved in with a can of peaches in my pantry. And it was years before I found that can of peaches. But I knew that peach tree, it would put on peaches and they would drop to the ground. And if I didn't get home quick enough, if I was on the road traveling, by the time I got home, a lot of those peaches were rotten. They were spoiled. They were faded away. But after years, I could open that can of peaches and still eat it because they were kept. The peaches that were kept, they were kept by a seal. When you come to belief in Jesus, according to Ephesians 1, you are given a seal of the Holy Spirit. You are kept by the power of God. 
Peter said, our inheritance is reserved. It is kept. It's reserved. Let me talk about reservations. I really hate going to the movies. I don't like going to the movies. I, I don't know. It seems like there's still a lot of people that go. I don't go to the movies. I just don't. We, we went, me and Anna went one time, and there was a trailer that was on, and some people were getting killed in it, and somebody was laughing about their murder, and it made the people laugh, and the more evil things happened, the more animated the crowd got. And we just sensed the, the evil in the room, and we didn't like it. And we left the theater before the movie even started. I don't like going to movies, but when I if it, if it's a Star Trek movie, okay, or a James Bond movie, or something that I'm interested in, or a movie about space, particularly Apollo or something, I'll go see that if I want to see it on the big screen. Well, then I'll buy tickets online for that, but I will only buy tickets for what's called pod seating. You ever been to pod seating? You really need to try those out. We're not going to get them here, so don't ask about it. Pod seating is like two seats in a, like a little pod surrounding thing where it's just you and someone else. Nobody is behind, in front, or beside, or nothing. And you get a blanket. It reclines. It's heated chair. Anna typically takes my blanket away from me, but it also comes with popcorn, so I take her popcorn away from her. Now, that's what I'll do. I'll do that because it's in pod seating. And I want to make sure when I get to the theater, that that seat is there for me. I don't want to walk in and fight somebody over it or them tell me, no, we don't have it. I want it to be there. So I get online and I get a reservation. I buy a ticket. So I buy tickets. That means those seats are kept reserved for me. And when I get there, that's my place. Nobody else can take it. It's my seat. When I get to the theater, I show them my reservation confirmation number so that no one can take my seat, and that seat is guaranteed for me. Friends, when you get saved by Jesus, you are given a confirmation number, so to speak. That's the Holy Spirit who says, here's your confirmation, which guarantees you will have a place reserved in heaven, kept for you, doesn't spoil, doesn't fade away. It's yours. Are we encouraged yet? I hope so. I know you're thinking real heavy, and I'm thinking, are we excited yet? You know, anytime you want to jump out of your chair and dance for a minute, go for it. I'll let you do it. I'll stop, and I'll probably dance with you. It's exciting. But Peter said our inheritance of eternal life does not fade away. Nobody can take your spot to where you have reserved for you in heaven. So when you get saved, your life in Jesus, you will... You will be saved. It's not a question of you might be, or I hope it doesn't rain today. It is a living hope that says, I am guaranteeing this personally by my power, not yours, that you will be saved. Guys, just knowing this news makes me more excited to do better work in taking the gospel to people. You see what Peter's trying to tell these dispersed people? It's great. Now, Satan will try to make you doubt that your reservation is actually going to be there. He'll try to make you think, no, you, you messed up again. You, you lost it. You, you, you didn't do something right. You weren't perf- perfect enough today. You hurt somebody's feelings or you ran a red light or something, whatever. Or you're an idiot or whatever. He tries to make you think that you're less than what you are. And he'll try to make you think that it's not kept. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.